Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This message by Pastor Eric Ludy is entitled, The Dangers of the Untamed Tongue. We have all had that moment where we wish our mouth really was big enough to insert our whole foot into it. Yet sometimes we still let our words fly around with idle carelessness. Our tongue is a dastardly weapon of darkness if left unyielded to the mighty power of God's rule and authority. Please, we'd love for you to contact us at www.ellersley.com. Now here's Eric Ludy. Father, prepare the hearts of your saints. Lord, we must be pressed forward. Do not let us stagnate. Do not let us remain where we are this morning. For your glory is at stake in this earth. And Lord Jesus, there must be a constant purifying and building up of your saints. I pray that you would purify our hearts and you would purify our reins today. That you would test us and measure us against your standard, against your righteousness. And Lord Jesus, where we fall short, we plead the merits of the shed blood of Jesus. And we say, come in, Lord Jesus, and make us more than what we can be naturally outside of you. Make us into pictures of what God can do in and through the lives of yielded men and women. Lord, I ask for your anointing upon this time, this message, and I pray that your truth would would thunder clearly into our souls. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. The dangers of the untamed tongue. A little longer than a typical title I whip out. Uh, And I don't really like my title, so I'm not completely sold on it. However, it is good. It is a good title. But... I would rather be talking, and this is ultimately where it goes, about a tamed tongue. So, but if I just called it the tamed tongue, it doesn't have as much cachet value, okay? And so I want us to feel a little discomfort throughout this message of dealing with the dangers of the untamed tongue, because most of us do not take seriously the gravity of the tongue. We don't understand how powerful this little, uh, Paul calls it a member. Isn't that strange? It's like this is a member. Uh, we don't understand how powerful it is. We don't understand what it wields and how it can literally destroy our life, destroy the lives of others around us, and destroy the world we live in. Isn't that amazing that this little thing called a tongue can do all that? Well, that's why it's important that we understand what God's intent is for it. Because the enemy has an intent for our tongue. So, if we're actually going to be considered good Christians here, let's figure out what God's intent is. And that's why I'm saying the title is more on the negative side, the dangers. I'd love to talk about the benefits that come from having a tame tongue, but that's just not as good of a title. So let's, uh, let's build off of this title. The dangers of the untamed tongue. Martin Luther has a famous quote that I will typically talk with guys, uh, use, use when I'm, I'm dealing with men about sexuality and thoughts. You cannot keep the birds from flying overhead, but you can keep them from building nests in your hair. Isn't that a great statement? Thoughts will come. Temptations will come. However, how you handle those temptations and how you handle those thoughts defines the substance of your soul. So maybe you can't keep the birds from flying overhead, but you can keep them from making nests in your hair. Okay, so I've modified this quote for today. Are you guys ready for this? This is, Martin Luther didn't say all of this. There's a little italics uh, that's been added from yours truly. You cannot keep the birds from flying overhead, but you can keep them from building nests in your hair and utilizing your mouth as their squawk box. In other words... Things are going to hit your life. You know, we live in a world that is hostile to the truth of the kingdom of heaven. And here you are, you're saying, I'm a Christian. Well, there is a lot that is against you, and there is very little that is helping you along. And so, yes, things will come against you. There will be thoughts that will come, and, you know, first of all, let's not let them make a nest in our hair. But all the more, let's not allow our tongue to be their messenger into this earth. 
Okay, let's stop it at the thought level so that it never creeps to the tongue level. Okay, so obviously you're seeing one of the secrets right there, and that is you learn to take every thought captive to the will of Christ Jesus, and suddenly your tongue doesn't have the same bait that it otherwise would have. There's sort of so many things that get this tongue going. There's so many little vulnerability points that start, you know, getting our tongue wagging inside this mouth. You know, most of us would be better off if we never talked. Isn't that an interesting thought? You know, you just sort of get out your pen and you write your notes to each other. Uh, but it'd be better for a lot of us if we didn't even talk. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't want us to talk. It just means some of us are not ready to know how to wield this tongue properly. Squawk box. The loudspeaker on an intercom or public address system. That's just in case you didn't know what I meant by that. You have one of these. It's like you have this gymnasium. You know, it's like a school operation here. And then you have like an intercom or like a big loudspeaker. I always think of one of those, uh, I don't know, bell-shaped things that like is announcing things. And you have a loudspeaker, an intercom, a public address system within your body. Isn't that a fascinating thought? God didn't have to stick a tongue in this body. We could have all been doing sign language the whole time. And we wouldn't think anything of it. Instead, he made us yappers. He made us so that we can make noise. However, he intends for that noise to be under his glory. He intends for this tongue to be used for the glory of God and the glory of God alone. And so let's learn how to wield this thing. James 3, all of James talks about the tongue, but James 3 is just sort of the classic point in the Bible, sort of like Hebrews 11 is for faith. Well, James 3 is where you go to learn all the things you need to know about the tongue. So let's read James 3. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, also able also to bridle the whole body. What an incredible statement. We're all prone to stumbling. But if anyone does not stumble in word, the use of their words, then they're a perfect man. Huh. I'd like to be that. Able also to bridle the whole body. If you can bridle the tongue, did you know that the whole body comes into alignment too? The hardest thing on your body to bridle is the tongue. So if the tongue gets bridled, you know that everything else comes along with it? Everything. This is that one instrument of the body that is so renegade and very difficult to know what to do with. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. So this picture is that this tongue is like a rudder of a very large ship. Now, some of you don't like my use of the term large when I'm talking about you, uh, but we have a rudder known as a tongue, and this rudder can change the direction of an entire life and body. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. This is a lot of compliments that are coming to your tongue here, right? In a little string. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. That is one of the most outrageous statements you may ever hear. Look at this. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. In other words, men can tame even the wildest creatures. But no man can tame the tongue. So you've been wondering why you've been having a problem with this? You can't tame this. Where do you fall in this? You're, you're the, the no man that can tame it. You, you're included in that. It's not just someone from the outside, you know, with a little whip going, saying, no, no, back down, tongue. This is you on the inside with your little whip going, don't say that again. You are getting me in trouble. We cannot tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not 
to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now this is all in the context of a tongue. And where we see envy and self-seeking and confusion, every evil thing are there. But however, there is a different wisdom that comes down from heaven. It needs to be bequeathed to the men and women of God. And when that wisdom comes, it is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, and willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now when we talked about the body, we called it the mystery of the body, we had a Sunday sermon on it, so you guys should be uh, well-groomed for what I'm gonna say. We talked about the fact that the body is like a factory. And it has this, these machines in it. And these machines, Paul refers to as members. And these members are, we have all sorts of them, like your hand could be considered a member, your eye, your mouth, your tongue in this case, your heart, your sexuality, your appetite. These are operations within your body. And they get us in trouble, don't they? Why? Because we have something known as the old man or the flesh that is in control of this body. We, we want to do the right thing, but we can't. Why? Because we're controlled by the old man. So we have to come to one of two conclusions in our Christian life. Either the old man is unable to be dealt with and will always control the human body, or when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he dealt with the old man, which is actually what Paul says, but since most of us have experienced quite the opposite, we've assumed that the old man cannot be dealt with. And so as a result, our sexuality, our appetites, our hands, our feet, our hearts, our mouths, our eyes, our ears, are basically the agents of the enemy. And so the enemy has been able to come in and utilize our bodies to the detriment of the kingdom of heaven, even though we can come to church services like this and sing praise and worship songs. How does that happen? It should not be this way, says James. This is not appropriate. This tongue of ours, no man can tame. And so when you attempt to go out with your own willpower, grit and determination, say, oh, we're gonna take this tongue down. We're gonna make sure that we always speak words of life and peace and love and gentleness. Always words that honor and build up. I will never speak a word that tears someone down ever again. Well, <clears throat> No man can tame this tongue. You need something bigger than your own willpower to do it. Introducing the tongue. Isn't that a powerful title there? Okay, listen to James 3 again. Even so, the tongue is a little member. Okay, but don't, don't let down your guard because this is a little member. And boast great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. It's a little member. It's a fire. It defiles the whole body. It sets on fire the course of nature. It is an unruly evil. It is full of deadly poison and no man can tame it. That's a quick summary of just what it says in James 3. Members, these are individual parts that make up the factory, the specific machines that make humanity operational. Well, if we don't have the body, we can't perform what God intends us to perform on this earth. Because a lot of us would say, well, if God just didn't give us a tongue, then we wouldn't trip over it and it wouldn't be used to harm his kingdom endeavors. Isn't that a good strategy? You know how many times I thought that about sexuality? If God just didn't make us sexual beings, then we wouldn't misuse it, and oh, life would be so much easier. And then, you know how many times I thought that about nerves, the nervous system? Oh, if I didn't have nerves, then I could say, 
kill me. I will die for Jesus. I wouldn't have any hesitation. I get to go to heaven. What's the big deal? I can't feel it anyways. You see, the way that we've been built in this body seems like a detractor or a detriment to us being fully given to Jesus Christ. I mean, these crazy members of ours keep tripping us up. However, if we look at it the correct way, this, was, this body was meant and intended by God to bring glory to him, which means the way it was built was good. However, there is an improper controlling element within our body that is taking all that was meant for good and using it for evil. So let's make sure we don't trash the body. Let's make sure we trash the old man. Jesus did the work. Let's make sure we come in agreement with it and allow it to be operative within us so that this body can once again be used to glorify Jesus Christ. And this tongue, since that's what we're talking about today, can be used to bring glory to his name as opposed to tearing down not only our life, but every life around us. The classic justifications of the unruly tongue. Now, as we go through this, my goal is not to make you just squirm. It's basically to allow a light to begin to shine into our life. Because when I talk about the tongue, a lot of us immediately think of someone else we know. You know, it's like, oh, that person just has no control over their tongue. However, I want you to realize, as I was working on this message this week, God was dealing with me. And I would consider myself a rather discreet person, okay, which is one of the words I'm going to teach you. That's one of the points of honor, is discretion. In other words, that we do not just speak anything and everything that comes into our mind, we speak only that which is edifying and builds up. However, Eric Ludi is just as vulnerable as anyone else to having this tongue say things that it shouldn't say. And so this is more of an in-depth look and allowing the light to shine from different angles. Instead, so instead of thinking about that one person in your life that needs to hear this message, you're like, well, I'm gonna get a copy of this one. <laughs> this is for each of us as individuals because this is a serious thing. God spends a lot of time in scripture dealing with the tongue. And so I say we spend this morning and allow him to penetrate and shine his light into the deepest corners of, of our existence. The classic justifications of the unruly tongue. I'm just being honest. You know, it's just the way it is. Okay? I mean, what am I supposed to do? Lie? No, you probably shouldn't say anything. I'm just being honest. Okay? Don't let that one escape unnoticed. Okay? This is not a justification to allow this tongue to be used to tear down and to diminish those around you. If it's in my head, shouldn't it go airborne via my tongue? <laughs> now, so, each one of us is possibly going to struggle with a different one of these, okay? Now, this one to some of you is just like, yeah, how obvious? Why would anyone do that? Well, then there's a few others in the future that you might be going, huh? Because we have these notions, okay, let's give an illustration in marriage. There's this concept in marriage that when you enter into marriage, everything is now shared. Everything, which is a part truth. However, everything doesn't need to be shared. There are plenty of things in your life, on the, in the disgusting category, that don't need to be shared, okay? You may have a burp that's welling in your chest. Do burps well in chests? I'm not exactly sure. However, you do not need to share it just because it's inside of you. Does that make sense? There are plenty of other things that could be put into that category. There's a lot of stuff about our life that does take place in our existence that there is no edification, no building up of other people by sharing it. So it is okay not to share everything. Just because something is in your head does not mean it is necessary that it comes out your mouth. Okay, that might be a revelation to some of you. Uh, you know, I remember when we were, we, we deal with a lot of confession of sin at Ellerslie, and one of the illustrations I use is, first of all, it's beautiful, so I don't even want to criticize it, but it's really funny how we try and walk through it, because am I supposed to share this? This is sort of awkward, I mean, uh, and so one of the illustrations I said is, if you have been thinking that someone stinks, and, you know, maybe you've been having some bad thoughts about them because... They really smell. 
it's probably not necessary for you to get up in front of an audience and say, I just want you to know that I've really held some hard feelings against you because you stink. <laughs> okay, it may be true. However, deal with God on that one. That is not something that is bringing edification to the world around you, and it definitely isn't bringing edification. If you're wanting that person to feel you know, stronger and be uplifted in their spiritual walk, that's probably not the way of doing it, okay? I say this because I love you. Don't let that be a banner under which you tear down people. You see, there is a time to speak straight. I mean, last week, that's what we talked about. We talked about allowing the kidneys, not just the heart, but the kidneys, which purify the life. Heart circulates life, kidneys purify life. And there's a time for a kidney to be operative in this life. And we speak straight, there's a time for rebuke. However, we need to make sure that it's the spirit of God that is leading us to wield this tongue and not our flesh. Not under the banner of, oh, I love you, and as a result, I'm going to punch you in the face here. The person needed to come down a few notches. It is not your job to take them down a few notches. Just know that. Your tongue is not the mechanism by which you are, in, are supposed to bring people down to their rightful place. There is, a, there is a proper use of the tongue that brings truth, that brings light, and shines it into people's souls, but it's the Spirit of God that must awaken them. You'll find that out if you ever become a preacher. You can't stir anyone with your words. Spirit of God must stir them. It is not your job to take people down a few notches. God is very good at that. Probably the most likely way that he will do it is by you getting on your knees, not opening your mouth and talking to them, but getting on your knees and opening your mouth and talking to God about it in private. They started it. If someone wields their tongue in a manner that harms you, is it then okay and appropriate for you to wield your tongue in a manner that harms them? Hey, they started it. This is a classic justification that we as Christians even use. However, if someone strikes you with their tongue on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Do not respond in like manner. Do not respond, if they respond to you in the flesh, do not respond in like manner in accordance with the flesh. Your tongue is to be used only for righteousness. Defiled Christian communications. The Christian tongue, and notice I have Christian in quotes, the Christian tongue as controlled by the flesh. Because we all have the quote-unquote Christian tongue. We're the representatives of the kingdom of heaven. So everyone around us that isn't a Christian is watching how we handle our tongue. And I tell you what, today in the church, I wouldn't say that we've done a very good job of it. Prayer gossip. You guys ever seen prayer gossip? It's very effective means of getting gossip out, but under a banner that is spiritual. And I really feel, guys, that we need to pray for, uh, for Rob, who has a, uh, a real problem with uh, a sexual disorder. And everyone's going, oh, that's news to me. But now we get to pray about it. So thank you for bringing that up. I tell you what, I've seen this in the Church of Jesus Christ so much. Where it's like, and, we, and then in the prayer, it's like, and we love Rob so much, and that's why we're bringing it out into the open so that we can all pray about it. If you know something about Rob, okay, Rob is just a made-up name, by the way, for all of you that are identifying with Rob. Rob needs your prayers, but he doesn't need to be dishonored. He doesn't need to be degraded. If you know something about Rob, Spiritually, you know something. Get on your knees in private and bring it before the throne. Okay, there is a time in which there are people that need to be talked with, okay? But typically, it's not your buddies. Oftentimes, it's people that are in positions of leadership that might need to respond to something you may know. However, the tongue must be guarded, and prayer is not the place to wield gossip of any kind. This is a sacred act before the heavenlies. We do not diminish people in prayer. What is prayer for? It's to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. How dare we allow the flesh to come in in the middle of our prayer time and wield our tongues in the midst of a group of believers. So let's be very guarded with this. Prayer manipulation. 
There's all sorts of different ways that we can utilize prayer to manipulate. But the reason I'm, I'm using this, remember I said, let, let me give you the title again, Defiled Christian Communications. Prayer is a means of communicating, and we communicate with those around us through our prayers. And some people have grown to a masterful level with how they do this. Because it's prayer, it must be sanctified. Anything we do in prayer must be okay, right? No? I don't know who came up with that rule. That's the reason the enemy is able to run free oftentimes under the banner of it. But prayer manipulation, where there's all sorts of various things that you can do. You know, the other classic uh, thing that, uh, I'm not to say any of the girls in here have ever done this, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fat. You know, and then you look at them and go, you're not fat. They're egging on a response. And when you utilize prayer to do this, in other words, to control the body of Christ around you, to show need and to show want, and in your prayer, you're sort of utilizing that as your basis of appeal to those around you. Some people, and I think it goes with this next one, God has spoken. Many people wield the notion that God has spoken to them. And by the way, God speaks, okay? It's not a diminishment of that, and I think we should be praying. And just because people misuse prayer doesn't mean we shouldn't pray. And just because people have misused the idea of praying for others in need doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for others in need. However, it's not the flesh version. It's not the version that tears people down. It's the version that actually brings them up and edifies them. God has spoken. There's certain people that have a tendency to talk about the fact that God has spoken to them all the time. And as a result, people defer to them. Well, they're the one that God speaks to. So whatever they say, it must be true because God always speaks to them. Well, God might not be speaking to them. I know that sounds like a harsh statement, but just because someone is saying that God speaks to them does not mean God is speaking to them. I want us to be able to test these things, and of course, that's exactly what the Bible tells us to do. We test everything against the word of God. I can't tell you how many people are ruled by the flesh in Christianity yet hearing from God all the time. What they're hearing from is the flesh. They're hearing what they want to hear, and then they're blabbing it out, and they're saying exactly what they want. It's a form of manipulation around because by the way, men who have a tendency to be very strict in their soul to say, I'm not hearing anything, I'm not hearing anything, I'm not hearing anything, I'm not about to say I'm hearing something if I'm not hearing something. Well, then these women in their life are hearing all these things, and they feel unspiritual. And so it's a form of manipulation where women oftentimes in marriages can control, spiritually control the men in their marriages because the women hear all the time and the men don't, and so they don't trust themselves to be able to hear. And as a result, they don't rise up and take spiritual leadership. But oftentimes, it isn't God actually speaking. Now, I'm not here to just throw a blanket over every time someone says God spoke to me, because God has spoken to me. However, we need to be very watchful with our use of these things, and this is an issue of the tongue. Do not say that God has spoken to you if you are not sure that he's spoken to you. Do not put God's name associated with any quote in your life if he shouldn't be associated with that quote in your life. If it's your quote and it's something you want to see happen, let's make sure that we clarify who it is that's speaking. It's okay if you say, you know what, I'm really desiring this in the church. Well, that's good. However, don't say, quote, unquote, God said this to me because it has the ability to manipulate those around you because, okay, the classic illustration the man comes up to the girl, the girl comes up to the guy and says, God has spoken to me that you're supposed to be my spouse. Well, how do you argue with God? I mean, it's God that just spoke. And what are you supposed to say to that? Well, uh, if he's that powerful, could he speak to me as well? Because I sort of, sort of need to know. Uh, okay, let's be very watchful with our words. By the way, if God ever speaks to you about your future spouse, keep it to yourself. Okay, don't go off and talk to them about it. That is very awkward. Uh, <laughs> super spiritual control, which sort of fits in with what we were talking about. Uh, one of the things I've seen in the body of Christ is women that utilize the fact that men should be heads of their households. It's a truth. However, they hold that over the men in their life and they say, you're not the head of the household. You're not the spiritual leader. And the poor guy is just under the thumb of this weight constantly. However, when he attempts to exert himself to rise up to be the head of the household, 
what happens? The woman actually doesn't want to give up the control. She just likes to control through making him feel like he's not what he ought to be. Be very watchful of how we wield super spirituality, okay? If you want your man to be the head of the household, then when he rises up, you let him be head of the household. Can't complain about it if you're not willing to allow him to be the head of the household. So that's called super spiritualization of something. It's actually not what you want, but you're wielding scripture to get what you want. Men, wives submit to your husbands. The guy knows nothing else in scripture, but that one quote, is that, the, is that his lone Bible study here? He, when he opens up the Bible, oh, there it is again. Wives submit to your husbands. There's a lot of other scriptures in the Bible, but that's the one that happens to come out of his mouth all the time. And as a result, it's a super spiritualization, and he is controlling his wife in and through the use and the wielding of scriptures, but it's a harmful version of it. And he is doing it with his tongue. Okay? This is an important member. And with it, we praise God, and with it, we tear down people. It ought not to be that way. We should use this to build up those around us 100% of the time. Wielding scripture for personal gain. That fits with what I just said. Belittling others. I think that goes without saying. But we have a tendency to take in the church of Jesus Christ, those that don't agree with us doctrinally, those that are a little, you know, they emphasize something a little more than we would really want. This is a very delicate matter for us as Christians because we need to stand for the truth and we need to clarify. Paul says, mark those that are not in accordance with the doctrine. However, when we mark them, let's make sure that we do not belittle them as individuals. We can deal with the doctrine that they're representing and say, hey, people, hey, church, let's not fall for this. This is dangerous stuff, but we need to be very watchful in how we handle them as individuals. Irreverence, coarseness. You know, the kingdom of heaven is one amazing place. Never been there, okay? Except for in the realities in my own soul and dealing intimately with Jesus Christ. And it, all I can say is it's extraordinary to know Jesus Christ. One of the things I teach when I teach about honor, I basically say it's the decorum of heaven. The way that the cherubim and the seraphim and the elders behave in the throne room of grace in the heavenlies is the pattern for how we ought to behave here on earth. Because do you not know that you're the temple of the living God? The spirit of God dwells within us. It's the very same spirit, the very same God that is in that holy of holy of holy places in heaven. It's the same God that is now in us. And so the way that they behave in heaven and the way you would behave if suddenly you were just transported up to heaven First of all, you'd fall flat on your face under the realization of whose presence you're in, and it might help us see a little more clearly of whose presence we now bear here on earth. And so the way in which we live for this king is a manner in which befits his kingdom. So every word must show a grace. It must be seasoned with salts. It must demonstrate a purity of mind, heart, and emotion. It must demonstrate the king's behavior. How would the king speak? Well, you're his ambassador. You're his emissary. And so this tongue is to be used the same way he would use it. You know, he did rebuke when he was here on earth. I mean, he said some pretty startling things. However, he only spoke truth, and he didn't speak more than it was needed to be spoken. And I'll, I'll go through that. I'll go through the Jesus model. But irreverence. The way we treat the Holy Scriptures, the way we treat the presence of God, all these things, we can easily show an irreverence in the way we use this tongue. Coarseness. Cannot think of anything more irreverent than coarseness. Because the very nature of Christ's tongue, one of the things David says in Psalm 119 about Jesus' words, or God's word, is that it's pure. There is no filth in it. There is no dirt in it. It is unsullied in every way. That's the word of God in text. That's the word of God in person. What is this? It's supposed to be the word of God. We're supposed to be giving the word of Christ to this earth without coarseness, without filthiness, without any sullying. 
exaggeration line. I think it was this last week I was sharing some stories about my history. Was that this last week when I was talking about uh, my exaggeration problem that I had? Uh, Great memories. Uh, But I struggle with exaggeration, but exaggeration to me wasn't lying. We do some creative gymnastic routines when we're growing up to try and disassociate those things. Liars go to hell. Well, Eric isn't a liar. Eric is only adding a little to the truth because, you know, I did, you know, I I was, the things I exaggerated about are embarrassing too. Uh, How much I weighed. I was too thin, and so I added 10 pounds. Most people have the opposite problem. And so you'd think God would give me some, you know, you know, room to maneuver on that one. It's like, well, everyone else is trying to take off weight. You know, Eric, you're trying to add weight. You know, I appreciate that. Go ahead and exaggerate. Uh, and I, my, my bench press, I added 10 pounds. Uh, my 40-yard uh, dash time, my 400-meter time, all these things I would take off a few seconds or tenths of seconds. That's really embarrassing because what I was in the naked sense, you know, of just the, the raw data of who I was wasn't enough. I wasn't sufficient. So I needed to sort of help God along in finishing this project called Eric Ludi. And God dealt with me, and I had to get up in front of this whole school, and not this one, but the school I was in at the time, and confess to the fact that I really don't weigh, I really weigh, it's terrible. And of course, they loved me. They came up and hugged me and you know, said, you know what, Eric, we love you just the way you are. We have a tendency to want to fix reality with our tongue. We're not satisfied with the way it is. We don't want people to think ill of us. So we cover up. Remember last week's message, love without wax? Wax. That concept of being sincere. You know, if there was a flaw in their sculpture, they would fill it in with wax. And so without wax, or to be sincere is the removal of all wax. Well, that's exactly right. The removal of all wax. No lies. No exaggeration. Honesty in its perfection. Harshness, frustration. I tell you what. Raising little kids can get that tongue of yours to uh, wag around with a little frustration and harshness. Uh, I remember Hudson was... uh, not sleeping. He was like three months old. I hadn't gotten any sleep for three months. And it actually kept going after that, but it had been three months. And I remember he was wiggling around. I was trying to change his diaper. And out came the words, come on, kid, settle down. Uh-huh, the tongue. Uh-huh. And of course, I was immediately convicted. I said, Les, I think you're going to have to change this diaper because daddy's a little out of control here. You know, there are things in our life that if we are not watchful, And if we are not guarded, we'll grab a hold of our tongue and start wagging it around. And they will hurt people. In those moments when we feel like we're doing so well, you know what? If we're caught off balance, that tongue will be grabbed by the enemy and he'll use us as his messenger to the ones we love dearly. It's a sad statement to think how many of us as Christians have been the voice of the enemy to our nearest and dearest. Isn't that a horrifying thought. Remember Jesus speaking to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Well, it's a little awkward to yell at our family and say, get thee behind me, Satan. But that's exactly what happens inside our own homes, inside our own mouths. We have allowed the enemy to take advantage of our weakness in a situation, in our vulnerability, and we have said, take my tongue and speak. Every word matters. Matthew 12, for a tree is known by its fruit, brood of vipers. It's a good Jesus statement. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you, says Jesus, that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Let's let that one sort of sit in the air for a little. Okay, I squirm with that statement just like you do. But I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Every word 
Could you imagine every single word that you speak, you being held accountable to? See, there's something about words. They have an eternal value to them. They are either establishing the kingdom or they're tearing down the kingdom. And so therefore, we must understand their weight. When we talk about confession of sin and confession of faith, one of the things we say at Ellerslie is, I know it might seem strange that you should confess with your mouth. However, there's something about your words. You're aligning yourself with truth. And you're saying, my God is right. His judgment is correct. And what was going on inside of me is incorrect. May God be true and this be a liar. I have tried to cover it up and I've tried to justify it, but God was right. It's confession of sin. That's all it is. It's saying God is right. His standard is right. His law is right. His righteousness is correct. And then confession of faith, it's aligning yourself with the truth of the word of God and saying this is true in me. I confess it to the heavenlies that the God of the universe owns and possesses this body. He purchased it with his blood. So things like baptism, that's a confession. It's a confession of faith. It's a declaration to the heavenlies. Things like communion are a declaration. Confession of faith in front of the believers to say who Jesus Christ is in your life. Why would these things matter? Because it's establishing something with the tongue. The tongue that has been used by the enemy in your life. You are now giving it sway to truth, to heaven. And, God, and you say to God, you take this tongue and you make it speak for your glory. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Does God share everything? The godly art of discretion. Isn't that an interesting thought? Does God share everything? God knows a lot. God probably has a lot of thoughts. Does he share every one of them? Isn't that an interesting thought? So when something's inside of you, does that mean it automatically needs to come out? The principle of discretion is that the answer to that is absolutely not. There are certain things that are not appropriate and not profitable to have come out. You may know that they exist, but that doesn't mean you are responsible to speak them. You are responsible to speak that which God is moving you by his spirit to speak. Sometimes those aren't comfortable things. Only that which is profitable, only that which is edifying, only that which is necessary, only that which is honorable, only that which is loving, only that which is pure, only that which keeps a trust, only that which preserves truth, only that which brings God glory. Let me go through that list again. We are to speak, and God only speaks, that which is profitable. You know what the word of God is? It's not everything that God ever said. God's word is calculated. God measured every last word. Tried and true is every word, refined seven times. Every word was chosen specifically. And I, we, we joke a lot at Ellerslie about how much God doesn't say in the word of God. You know, this great moment in, in history. And we can't wait. We're bated breath looking at the text going, oh God, share with me what happened. And God wrought a great victory. Is that it? Is that all you're going to say? And then he goes off into all these genealogies. We're like, God, how about we swap a little genealogy for a little more information down here? He says, every word has been measured. I've given you every word purposely. Those genealogies matter. Whether you, acknowledge, whether you understand it or not, when I speak, I only speak that which is profitable, edifying, necessary, honorable, loving, pure, that which keeps a trust, that which preserves truth, and that which brings God glory. God, the secret keeper. You know, intimacy in a marriage is directly hinged upon the fact that when you are in private with your spouse, that when they share something with you, it doesn't immediately go out the other side of your mouth to your buddies. Okay, and that goes both ways. If Leslie shares something with me, and she knew that I was coming to Ellerslie and blabbing it to all of you, guess what? She wouldn't speak anything to me again. Well, wh how come you don't trust me? Because the last time I did, you blabbed it to all of Ellerslie. Okay? 
It makes sense, doesn't it? And the same is true. I'm not about to share something with her if she goes out with her, her friends and then starts sharing. It's like, yes, Eric, you know, he has some insecurities in these areas. And, you know, we really should all get together and pray for him. You know, he means well, but, you know, he's just sort of a weak man. Well, that's not going to do anything for me. It's going to make me backtrack and say, you know what? I don't know that I want to share this with you. Intimacy is born through discretion, secret keeping. Okay? In other words, when someone entrusts something to you and you say, yes, you can, you can know that I will keep that trust. Well, God keeps trusts. You know, Mary, she treasured these things in her heart. She didn't just go out and blab it everywhere. There are things that God intends us to keep. It doesn't mean there's not a day in the future when they are meant to come out. I remember the first challenge I had in this. God was teaching this to me oh, when I was like young 20s. And so let's just say 21. And I wrote a song, and it was, before I wrote it, I made a statement like, God, I write this to you, not for any man. So just as King Theophilus, I'm sorry, Luke wrote unto King Theophilus, I was going to write, I was going to be like the little drummer boy and play my heart for, for Jesus. And so I was going to write a song just for Jesus. Well, so I gave it to Jesus. It was a really good song. And I, I really wanted other people to sort of appreciate my song. I mean, Jesus wouldn't mind me sharing what I wrote for him for others because it would, it would bring glory to him. Well, we go through all sorts of elaborate justifications of why we let out our secrets and why we remove discretion from our lips. But I want to encourage you that our God is a God of discretion, and so must we be. The name that no one else knows. These are three examples of discretion. I love it. These are just really fun. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. This is speaking of Jesus in Revelation 19. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. Speaking of Jesus, listen to this. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Oh. So God doesn't share everything. Look at that. He has a name written that no man knew but he himself. What is it? Well, then you would know too much. Oh, I want to know what that name is. And they give all sorts of other names. Faithful, true, king of kings, lord of lords, the word of God. In this whole stretch, Jesus has all sorts of names. But then there's one name you can't know. Oh, how intriguing. The secret things belong to him. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. That we may do all the words of this law. The word of God is the revelation of God. He has revealed his heart and his mind what was necessary what was profitable, what was for edification, what was for the glory of God has been revealed, but God has other things. Now, I don't know if in eternity we will encounter those other things, but there's a lot more to God than we know. And he said unto them, it is not for you to know. Well, how offensive is that? The times and the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But of, the day, but of that day and that hour knows no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Even, even the Son doesn't know the day or the hour? What? I mean, at least Jesus should know this stuff. Isn't that amazing? But the Father knows it. He's the secret keeper. I can just see a big smirk on his face, too, and Jesus is like, so you're going to tell me? Not on your life. I mean, how exciting is this? All is not supposed to be written. Only that which is needful. And there also, and this is the very end of the book of John, and there also are also many other things which Jesus did. The which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Is that all you're giving us, John? What, you're gonna just finish with amen after that? I wanna know more. You have what you need, you have that which is necessary, you have the canon of Scripture. You have the inspired word of God revealed unto you, and it is not just the word of men. It is the word of God. You have it. Everything that you would need. Discretion. The tongue governed by grace, held to the highest honor and harnessed to speak only that which is edifying. Listen to James 1.26. Try not to squirm in your seat as I read this. It's all right if you squirm. If any man among you seem to be religious... And bridles not his tongue, 
but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain. If we do not have a bridled tongue, it says in James that our religion is a pretense. It's vain. It's empty. It's hollow. This is a measuring stick for the reality of our Christianity. One of the first evidences, you know how we should say, well, it's love that is evidence, you know, that you will know my disciples by their love. You might as well say you will also know my disciples by a bridled tongue. They have a bridled tongue. They have a tongue that has come under the rulership of the Spirit of God. Edifying. That which builds stronger, that which strengthens and fortifies, that which adds more of what is needful. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. What a statement. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, of building up, of adding to those around you what is needful, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for him, but all things edify not. So Paul's basically saying, if it's not edifying, it doesn't matter if it's lawful or not, you don't do it. It's not like there's a law against getting up and saying, uh, yeah, you've, your stink has really offended me. However, if it's not edifying, don't do it. We do that which is edifying, not just that which is lawful. Edify one another. Seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Let all things be done unto edifying. But we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edifying. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Measuring every word, the canon-tested tongue. When we teach about canon here at Ellerslie, we talk about canon as a rod. It's a measuring rod. And so the first five books were the original measuring rod or the original canon. God sealed it with the rod of Aaron budding overnight in the tabernacle, which is a rod. And that rod was stuck in the Ark of the Covenant. But there's a measuring rod, and every subsequent book of the canon that was added had to be measured and had to be found perfect against the first five books. And then when the sixth book was added, then it had to be measured against the six books. Seven books are added. Now it has to be measured against seven books. Jesus was measured against 39 books, and he was found perfect. He was measured. He was proven canon. And whatever is proven canon has divine right and authority to rule and control. So the Bible has divine right to rule and control our lives as believers. And so does Jesus. Jesus has fulfilled the canon and become the word of the canon made flesh, and he has divine right to rule and control our lives. So now we have this measurement known as the word of God, which, by the way, a word is something spoken with a tongue. And so God's tongue has been proven to be perfect. God's tongue has been proven to be without wax. God's tongue has been proven that it never lies. It only speaks that which is to the glory of God. And so just as every word that God spoke throughout the ages was measured and tested, now it has become the measuring test, and the canon test. So we have what we're calling the canon-tested tongue. If what you say with your mouth cannot pass the canon test of Scripture, it shouldn't be said. I know that sounds a little easier than it is, but that's a fact. In other words, we only speak that which is approved by the Word of God. Jesus, the model tongue, holy consecrated, holy given. Let's just look at Jesus here. In Deuteronomy 18, it, it foreshadows or it prophesies about this one named Jesus who will come, who is the word of God made flesh. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and, I, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. So this is that one that will come. He's going to have God's words in his mouth, and he will speak whatever God commands him to speak. Well, this is Jesus. Because then in John 12, we see a direct reference to that. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. 
Look at John 14. Believe thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. Could you imagine saying that of your own mouth? The words I speak unto you, I don't speak of myself. But the Father that dwells in me, he does the works. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. We hear from something else. First and foremost, it's the word of God. We hear from the word. Our words are shaped as a result of encountering the word of God. And we deal with the word of God in text, and we deal with the word of God in person, his actual life within us. And just as the Father was in Christ, so we have Christ in us. The very word of God dwells in us. May the word of God dwell in your hearts richly. This is, this is Christianity. You're not supposed to speak from your little pile of words over here going, you know what, I'd like to say this. It's the word of God that we speak from. It's the nature of God that we speak from. It doesn't always have to be a quoted scripture, but it's the word of God. It's the substance of his life that we speak from. For I have given unto them the words which thou gave me, and they received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. It is the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Let no corrupt word escape. Ephesians 4 says this. Put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. So remember we were talking about that operation and all the members, all the factory machines that are producing fruit? And instead of producing good fruit, they're producing bad fruit. And so it's because the old man is ruling the roost in this factory. Well, Paul says, put off this old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Makes it sound so easy, doesn't he? And be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying. It's interesting how Paul, in Ephesians, when he talks about the new man coming on, will reference what goes on with the mouth more than anything else. So the first thing he says is putting away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Remember where this comes from. Put off the old man and put on the new. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. Every single one of those things is something that happens with the tongue. With all malice, be kind to put away from you, with all malice, and be kind one to another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The cross, where the tongue was tamed. See, that would be a better title for this message. You know, it was the dangers of the untamed tongue. But who wants to just talk about an untamed tongue? Let's talk about a tamed tongue. Let's talk about what Jesus Christ did. I, I, maybe your tongue has been rec reckless and a renegade in your body for all these years. Even though you've been a Christian, it's time to change that. Change is today. We no longer allow the enemy to wield our tongue to his advantage. We bring our tongue under subjection to the will of Christ Jesus. Here it is, Romans 6. Now you'll notice I have the word members crossed out and I put in tongues, okay? Just because most of us, when we hear the word members, do not think of anything specific or anything practical. So since this is what our message is about, you get to see the word tongues very specifically. We're not talking about speaking in other languages here. We are talking about your tongue inside your mouth. Romans 6, 11 through 18. Likewise, reckon you also yourself to be indeed dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. So let's just imagine. Paul says, take it. 
He says, reckon yourself indeed, dead indeed unto sin. You know this control of sin over your tongue? Reckon it dead. You're like, well, what, what does that mean? Go out and grab it. Do you believe that Jesus Christ accomplished what he did? Then rise up and take it. Take the legal documentation, and the next time the old man says, I'd like to use your tongue, you hold up the legal paperwork and said, signed in blood by Jesus Christ, you actually have no more authority here to utilize my tongue. Stick it in your spiritual pocket, and when the enemy comes against you, you hit him back in the teeth with it. Okay, so that's what it means to reckon. And you're also supposed to reckon yourself alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Paul says, let not sin, therefore reign in your mortal body. You could say, let not sin, therefore utilize your tongue. Hey, it's that easy. It's that simple. But first of all, you have to have the paperwork. You have to know that you can't tame the tongue. Jesus can. He can. But you need to reckon it as so. Your tongue is not just a renegade and you have no control over it. It is under subjection to the Spirit of God within your body and you are under subjection to the Spirit of God and your body is technically under subjection to you. So you tell your tongue exactly what it's going to do. You're going to be quiet right now. Huh? And it can be like, and you're like, nope, I don't want to hear another word. You're going to go quiet for the next week if necessary. It can't say anything about it. That you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your tongues as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your tongues as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For sin shall not have dominion over your tongue. For you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid! Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey his servants you are, to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Imagine calling your tongue a servant of righteousness. Slave of righteousness. Whatever righteousness wants to see accomplished in this world, whatever would be the way your tongue ought to speak, that's, that's what your tongue is used for. And only that. It's a servant of righteousness. The church of the tamed tongue. That would have been a good title for the, the message too. I don't know that anyone would have listened to it. The church of the tamed tongue. That's what we are. We wouldn't typically call it that. But that's what we are. We're the church that speaks and bears witness of the word of God. The pure word. Not the words of men. Not the words of the flesh. Our tongues are exclusive unto the purposes of Jesus Christ in this earth. So may we, the consecrated of Almighty God, speak only that which is profitable, that which is edifying, that which is necessary, that which is honorable, that which is loving, that which is pure, that which keeps a trust, that which preserves truth, and that which brings God glory. This is about the glory of Jesus Christ. We will be held accountable for every idle word. This is not a vehicle and a transport device and a squawk box for the enemy. This is meant to be a member, an instrument of righteousness, utilized for the glory of Jesus Christ alone. And so if this tongue has been your trip-up point, you know what you need? The gospel. This is what the gospel does. The gospel takes hold of your body and says, belongs to Jesus now. His body is no longer under the control of the old man and under the control of flesh. It's under the control of the spirit. So you begin to walk in such a fact. And you begin to lean on God. If the flesh ever is beckoning to take hold of your tongue, say, come on, on, please. Just let me at him right now. He started it. You hold up the paperwork of Jesus Christ, what he purchased on that cross. It's legal. And it's authoritative in the heavenlies. Old man, you have no position in this body. Be silent. Tongue, you come into perfect agreement with God's agenda. And right now, you need to be silent as a lamb unto slaughter. We don't say a word. We keep our mouth shut. Jesus modeled this to perfection. The times when we would be speaking, he was silent. And the times when we would have been silent, he's speaking. That's the Spirit of God at work within a man's body. 
And Jesus demonstrated it perfectly. And he wants to do the same in us. So let's yield and let's let him have what he purchased. Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.